as you move in your amateur radio circles, you're going to meet all kinds of people, naturally. So, uh, politicians, uh, whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Welcome back to This Should Work. We are now in session number 10. An interview with Brian Davis of Hamfester's Amateur Radio Club. Brian, along with Mel Marcus and others from his group, have graciously been teaching classes out of both Space Lab, the makerspace I run in the south suburbs, and at the DePaul Makerspace Idea Realization Lab, uh, teaching students how to um, uh, get their amateur radio license, something that I think is vitally important, not only to, to young people, but to anybody involved in um, maker and making things and tinkering and, and so forth. I really enjoyed this conversation with Brian. We talked a lot about uh, the uh, ham radio community. We talked a lot about how he got his start in ham radio and how you can get your start in amateur radio as well. Uh, if you enjoyed, this should work. As always, please subscribe and share. Uh, we are on pretty much every major platform these days. Uh, iTunes, you can check us out on SoundCloud, Overcast, uh, TuneIn, and all that other stuff. Uh, and you can share our stuff easily through our website, shouldworkmedia.com. That's shouldworkmedia.com. And now that we've got all that boring stuff out of the way, our interview with Brian Davis. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, session 10, here we go. All right, so this is, this should work, session seven, 10, 10, session 10, with Brian Davis from Hamfesters Ham Radio Club. Yes, or amateur radio. Club. Amateur radio club. Yes. Why did I, I? I knew that too. <laughs> um, and uh, we are we're here today to talk about um, everything that you do. So why don't we get started? Okay, well, it's good to be here, Jake. Yeah, thank you for thank you for spending some time and, and doing this. And you've been doing a lot of work, you know, <clears throat> with with us at DePaul and at Space Lab too, and teaching Space a lot of people. Yeah. So I appreciate all that too. <clears throat> um, so the way that we usually get started with, with this show is by asking people what it is that they're working on right now. And that's kind of, for me, an interesting topic because a lot of people that I talk to, uh, they tend to do a lot of stuff for other people and they, they don't do, have as much time to do things for themselves. It's kind of like the, the cobbler's children have yeah. no shoes. But is there anything that you're working on right now that, that is like your own personal projects? or? Well, in, as far as ham radio is concerned, yes, yeah. I, uh, two things. One of them is building out the remote control of my amateur radio station. Okay. I have a high-frequency radio station uh, in Tinley Park, and <clears throat> I'm pretty much able now to fully remote control that. And so from anywhere in the world, I can get on the air and talk to people. Um, I can turn the equipment on remotely by using the internet, Ethernet, um, and Wi-Fi uh, connections. And actually, I, I can show you here uh, the cell phone. And um, yeah. uh, <clears throat> just recently, I uh, ended up modifying an amplifier. I have a one-kilowatt amplifier, yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm now able to remotely turn that amplifier on and also um, activate it, put it into the operate position remotely. Yeah. So I don't need to be in the ham shack. I can operate it from uh, a, an iPad okay. or my cell phone for that matter. Okay. And, um, and so that's the project I'm working on right now is getting the bugs out. Yeah. Um, as you uh, work on a project uh, which involves uh, installing relays yeah. and also an Ethernet, Ethernet switch, remote control switch, um, um, it's called a DLI uh, Ethernet relay. And I'm able to control the relays inside the amplifier that I installed to turn the amplifier on and off. Okay. So that's my latest project. I'm yeah. almost done. Oh wow! How long have you been How long have you been working on it for? Uh, I've been thinking about it for a year and okay. actually working on it for maybe a month. Okay. Ordering parts, waiting for the parts to come in, and okay. then installing the parts. And now we're going in debug mode. Okay. And, um, I think I got most of it. Most of it's fixed and yeah. working right. So I think the first thing that I should mention is we'll, we'll it's you're pointing on an iPad, so you you got pictures and stuff like that. I'm guessing or something that you're talking about. Uh, or, well, I could, I could. I have but, um, one of the things that we can talk about that we do later on is ah, collect yes. the QSL cards. Okay, great. So um, that's one of the hobbies that we can yeah or, or activities we can do with ham radio. Yeah. So, so what I, what I usually do then is I'll take some pictures and stuff like that and okay. put them up in the show notes so everybody else okay. can see yeah. see this stuff too and get the visuals. Um, so what's what is I'm I'm curious about this. Why is this, uh, why is this your personal project right now? Why'd you pick it? Is it itching a scratch that you had, or what's the? Yeah, uh, well, I had the amplifier, and the amplifier is sitting there, and I'm able to control my radio remotely, tuning the frequency and the volume and all of that that you do with a normal radio. Right. But it's nice to have some power. When the going gets rough, you'd like to have more power. So okay. I <clears throat> bought an amplifier. It runs a 1,000 watts, and that boosts up the signal from my 100-watt radio to 1,000 watts, a little over 1,000 watts. Yeah. And so it would be nice remotely then to not only control the radio, but also add some more power to that radio. That's the amplifier, so I can right. switch it on when I need it. Okay. So that's and how many people in the area are doing something like this? Would you say, or is this a, is this a fairly I'm common? I'm probably project? the only one. <laughs> oh, really? I, in fact, I'm, the, I'm my my plan now is once I get this thing working, proof of concept, and mm -hmm. I get a little bit of reliability built into this whole thing, uh, probably write it up and put it in one of the uh -huh. ham radio publications uh -huh. with okay. pictures and the whole bit. So are you only one, only one in the area then? Or are you the only, one of the only people working on a setup? Well, I like might this? be the only one in the country who's done it. I, I don't know. Um, I've not seen anybody else who's d done anything like this. So yeah. I kind of like to pave the way and get a little credit for having pioneered this whole idea. Yeah. And uh, maybe other people have done it. I don't know. But yeah. uh, I'm going to run it up the flagpole anyway, through through publicity. Okay. So. So that's interesting. So, um, you know, one thing that's interested in me when I was getting my my license is that, um, you know, through the classes that you were teaching is, uh, you know, ham radio has a long history before computers. Yes. And now you're talking about, you know, the setup that you're building out. But but just in general, too, um, there is this digital like computer component to to radio now. Um, and, I, and I wonder how, how prevalent that is and if that's changed the, the ham radio community um, very much or what's or, or in, and also then what stayed the same. Um, I would say the digital communications and digital computers, let's just call it computers for yeah. a collective word, yeah. 
is fully integrated into the amateur radio hobby now. First okay. of all, it started as like logging. For When you make a contact, you want to log it and keep a history of all that, the right. date and the time, who you talk to, and things like that. So that's a natural for a computer, just to build a spreadsheet at first. Now there are standalone logging programs that are sure. available for logging. Okay. So that's probably the first one. Then we get into digital communication where you go keyboard to keyboard, okay. like an old teletype machine. Okay. Um, we use what we call radio teletype, where we type in and the typing signals are turned into digital signals, pulses, and then sent out over the air. Okay. And then it'll then print, teleprint somewhere else. Okay. And so uh, that's the next use that you probably use for uh, computers. Uh, now they're using uh, computers for digital voice, where they will take take your um, your voice, digitize it, and then send it out over the air. Yeah. Um, you can also then, while you're at that, run that through an Ethernet connection, um, Wi-Fi and otherwise, uh, to another city, and then your voice will come out um, in digital form to somebody else's computer, and then guess what? Right. It comes out as audio again. So... Um, does that improve the, the quality of the audio then? Uh, most of the time, yes. Yeah. And the neat thing is, is that by doing that, it's called Echolink or okay. IRLP. And both, both of those are VOIP technology okay. over the air. And since it's, since it's VOIP, you can run it through the Ethernet lines and then come out on a repeater somewhere in another, okay. another country, another city, whatever. And so the quality usually is pretty good. Yeah. I was, I was reading something, um, oh, probably earlier this week, actually, and it was talking about how, um, it was talking about music and how, how music is digital, you know, most of the music people are listening to these days is digitized. Right. right? It exists on a computer somewhere. And the person who was talking about it wasn't necessarily saying um, that it was better before it was all digital. But what they were saying is there is something tactile about having, you know, like a, a wax record. And if you took like a microscope up to it, you could see, you know, the perturbations on the on the wax, like the uh -huh. bumps that were associated with the different sound. And, uh -huh. and there's something they were their argument that they were making is there's something about the the realness and the tactile experience you have of, yeah. of music um, that's real versus computerized. And I wonder if any of that has 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 uh, that kind of thinking has ch changed or, or or been talked about in the ham community at all as far as computers because you have a, a very similar thing right audio right. Where, you're, right. where you're computerizing a lot of the process and a lot of the the um, the things that you're doing um, you're, you know are being computerized but it started out very much as as, as not that right right um, so is there any I don't know if you have any I've read about it. Um, <clears throat> there are Effia condos, is that the right word? Okay. About vinyl. Okay. And uh, they're real proponents for, for vinyl. Yeah. As far as ham radio, uh, uh, the only vinyl I know of is in our wiring. <laughs> right, right, right. <clears throat> and, you know, but as far as records or anything like that, nothing. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about, I, I guess I'm not, I, the question isn't so much about records. It's about the, the almost analog nature of something becoming computerized. It's, oh. it's you know, the ham radio when it starts out and there are no computers yeah. and then suddenly computers are doing everything and I wonder if that changes the way that people think about ham radio or you think about ham radio or the community thinks about it um, or if computers are just another tool and there's nothing that's changed. Yeah, I, I would just you took my words. Is, okay. To me, the computer and the digital technology is just a tool. The, the basic idea of amateur radio is communication. 
um, for whatever purpose, either emergency services, uh, for social, just to get together. Um, it could be to monitor a race, a 5K or a 10K, mm -hmm. um, or a marathon like we just had in, in, in Chicago. Um, uh, that is what amateur radio, in my mind, is all about. Okay. And then the fun part of it is the technology and getting it all to work. Yeah. And that's what I like to do in my basement is putting the pieces together to get it to all work. Once it's all working, well, that's okay. You know, I'm on okay. to something else. So, uh, okay. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at. So, the, you're talking about the digital digital communication. I think you can get as good a audio quality as you want, as long as money is not an object. Right. Right. So, in other words, the quality I can get out of my digital radios is just as good as I could get in the old days when we had vacuum tubes. In fact, I think the audio is better. Right. And uh, I think it's arguably better yeah. with the digital technology because. Now you have absolute control over the waveforms of your signals going through your radio. Yeah. And they're digital, and either they're right or they're flat wrong. It doesn't work at all. Right. So, um, so as long as you have a good analog to digital converter and digital to analog converters at each end of high enough quality, the rest is, uh, is easy, easy to do. Okay. So let me come at this from a different, different angle, and then I want to talk about how you got into ham radio and, um, and, and, you know, some of the things that you, you, the tools that you used when you first got started and then that you're using now. But I want to I come at this from a different angle first. And there's a, I, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the movie right now. So I'll, I'll have to put this in the notes too. But there's a movie based on a book that Carl Sagan wrote mm -hmm. from Cosmos and all, yeah. all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, and the movie, do you, do you know the movie I'm talking about? They, um, <clears throat> they, they receive... Um, uh, a signal from somewhere in outer space. The name went through my mind, and, and uh, right, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, though. yeah, the girl. A, yeah, yeah, a yeah. Girl, uh, yeah. A signal was it? Signal? Uh, uh, something like. Yeah. It was a single word title. Yeah. It'll it'll come to one yeah. of us. Yeah. So at the beginning of the movie, uh, the little girl, the main character, who grows up to become the you know the, yes. the main character, is is sitting at uh, at, at a radio setup and is. Um, she's got a map on her wall and, you know, she's reaching out with her father to various places around the country and then they'll put a pin on the map. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that, that spoke volumes to me, number one, about Carl Sagan obviously had an affinity towards uh, amateur radio because that made its way into his book. Uh -huh. And also, I mean, it's, Carl Sagan was a very, he's a scientist. He's also kind of like an artist in a way, right? He's a, he's a very creative person. And a good communicator. Yes, an excellent communicator, yeah. an educator. And what the, the other thing that, that spoke to me is that he saw some kind of romanticized version of, of amateur radio where it wasn't just, uh, it, you know, and certainly it is a, a tool for, um, you know, uh, covering parades and, and all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. But there's also some kind of artistic element of it where... You know, you're reaching out into the ether and you're meeting, you know, just people from anywhere. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a magic involved. Yeah. It is, it is an ethereal magic that, that, that occurs when you turn on your radio. You don't know what you're going to hear. Yeah. Um, it, it, could be, uh, it could be somebody from a far distant land. And as the movie suggests, it could be something from outer space. Right. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, and uh, so you, you you never know, and there's a lot of weird things that you hear on the radio yeah. that are really tough to explain. 
Some mm. of them are man-made, and a lot of them are natural phenomenon. Yeah. What are what are some of the natural phenomenon that you're talking um, about? There are things that, uh, uh, like stat, static and a, 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 spherics, they call them spherics, okay. is what they call them. Yeah. And have you heard of that word? I, I think I read about yeah. it in one of my, my study books, but yeah, go ahead. I don't want to, yeah, for other people it's, it's and interesting. And the other one are yeah. whistlers. Yeah, um, and there's one other one which is kind of kind of spooky, and that's called long delay echo, mm -hmm. where you'll be talking into your microphone, and then maybe five or ten seconds later, you'll hear your own voice coming back to you on right. the same frequency. Right. And they think that that's signals that are escaping the uh, Earth's ionosphere and going out and getting caught in magnetic fields yeah. around the Earth, far out, and then coming back again. Right, um, and so those are long, long delayed echoes. They're called, and so ah. the whistlers are sounds you get usually caused by lightning. Yeah, and the lightning will occur, and then that pulse of lightning will get trapped in some of the ionosphere layers that we have around the Earth, yeah. and it ends up you end up with a whistle going, yeah, like that. Yeah, and it's kind of spooky when you're listening to that. Yeah, so. The mag I mean, you're talking about magnetic fields. We're talking really far out, right? Yes. That's well outside of our yes. what we would consider our atmosphere. Right. Um, you know, the only thing that I can think of that's that's out that far that is pretty constant is our uh, GPS satellites that we have. Um, okay. Well, these would be like these would be even out further past the moon. <clears throat> yeah. Way, yeah, yeah. way, way, way out. Yeah. And then somehow... Aren't GPS been satellites that far? Are they, say again? Aren't GPS satellites about that far out too? Or is that... Are they, no, they're, they're, uh, they're a in couple hundred miles but, up. Or right. like I that. know they're out... And the moon is 200,000 yeah, Okay, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so you talked about, uh, you know, kind of the ethereal magic of, of reaching out to people. My... my uh, my so I, I wanted to get into talking about how you got started, and I think a good way to, to segue into that is to talk about if you can remember the first time you not listened, but were able to get on the radio and talk to somebody. Do you remember that the when that was? First time we had to use back in the old days, we had to use Morse code, and mm. so. To even get on the air, you had to know the Morse code. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I didn't get on until I had learned the Morse code. I didn't yeah. learn it very well, yeah. but it was enough to get by. Yeah. <clears throat> so I got my license uh, at five words a minute, and it was called at the time the novice license. And uh, what my what one of my earliest contacts, uh, I talked to some local people. You know, yeah. and you could you could talk that not a big deal. But the biggest one was um, I think I was. Um, Owensboro or Louisville, Kentucky. I yeah. think it was Louisville, Kentucky. So I was, uh, I grew up in Cincinnati. So it was from Cincinnati down to Louisville. And I talked to a ham there. And I remember yeah. I was so excited when he said that I live in Louisville. And I got all excited and I didn't even finish the contact. I ran, <laughs> up, I ran upstairs and told my parents, I got Louisville. Yeah. So uh, that was one of my first ones that I remember actually getting on the air. What age, what age is this? Uh, this would be in high school. Okay. Uh, this would be uh, uh, 13, 14 years 13, old, I 14. suppose, something like that. And then how, how much <clears throat> further along 13. does, uh, does until voice comes along for you? Uh, well, <clears throat> at the time, it wasn't too much longer because 
back in the old days, you had your novice license, and then to keep your license, you had to upgrade within a year. They gave you an, a, just a year oh, wow. to go from five words a minute to 13 words a minute. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, I went through a crash course on getting my speed up, and I got my general license then about a year later. Okay. I had to be within a year, otherwise I would have had licensing troubles. Right, you would have lost your license. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you remember by any chance the first time you, you were actually able to, uh, you know, speak to someone? Not not through Morse code, but through... Through a microphone? Yeah. Um, well, I, I did... I got together with a bunch of buddies. We all... I might, we might just go back a little bit. Yeah. How much your radio is like computers is today to the right. kids and right. cell phones and things like that. Back then, radio was a big deal. That was a techno technological marvel, right. and it was fun to play with. Yeah. And uh, there was enough parts around at my age that you could you could get on the air fairly easily. There were kits that were made so you could build your own. Yeah. And in fact, my first radio was was a kit. Yeah. And I put it together, um, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then after that, I got another radio, another <laughs> transmitter, which worked voice. And so then that was my first contact. And you end up at first talking to your buddies around town. Yeah. <clears throat> then you get your antenna working right and all that kind of stuff, and then you can yeah. reach out further. Yeah. How how uh, <coughs> how how complex were these kits? What are we talking? So nowadays, you know, you might buy a kit from a website like uh, Adafruit, mm -hmm. and um, it'll come with step-by-step uh, -step instructions, and and even the the screen on the circuit board. We'll have numbers around the holes where you right. can put all of the components in. Right. And the components are, are, are miniaturized now, right. or close to miniaturized when you're putting them on. So what are we talking about when we're talking about these kits that you're putting together? The kits um, were the classics. And many of the hams my age all built hundreds of kits, not hundreds, dozens of kits. Okay. All different, not only radios, but test equipment and SWR bridge uh, kits mm -hmm. and uh, monitors um, uh, ten minute timers. You're supposed to identify every ten minutes. So you right. build a little kit. It would would beep every ten minutes. Ah. You push a button and it would reset. And sure. Every ten minutes you get the beep and remind you to identify <laughs> with your right. call sign on the right. air. Yeah. So those were simple kits that you put together, and um, they were all the Heath kit and the uh, Knight kit and several other kits. Ico all had very detailed. Um, instructions, step-by-step -step instructions with pictorials yeah. and things like that. Okay. So it was not, um, uh, it was a very guided process. Yeah. And wh where are you buying these kits from at uh, the time? They remember? were from the radio store in town. Okay. There were radio stores all over. Sure. And, uh, so uh, so you get it from a radio store or you could do mail order them. Sure. And what, were there, how many, if you were to give a guess, how many people are going out and getting the kits versus how many people are buying some pre-made, pre-packaged kind of solution? Well, in my circle of high school kids, we were all broke, so okay. we all did kits. That was the cheapest way to get on the air okay. by far. Okay. Uh, Ready-made commercial gear was very expensive. Uh, you hear one of those guys on the air, and his, his, his name was Doc. Yeah. It was it, The reason they called him Doc is because he was probably a doctor. Back in those days, the doctors had a lot of money. Sure, uh, you know them and the bankers on the, you know, the house on the corner. Yeah, not much, uh, much they, has changed. So they all, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's changed a little bit. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but anyway, those are the guys doc. that yeah. bought the commercial stuff. Yeah, it was really expensive. I mean, we're talking yeah. about in today's dollars, um, 
they were probably uh, four or five thousand dollars easy enough. Mm. <clears throat> okay. In today's dollars. So, so this is like uh, computers when they're first coming out. You know, you can get kits and build your own yes, computer. Yes, exactly. Or you could buy some prepackaged thing. And now they're everywhere. Computers yeah, now are you, everywhere. It's, it's not worth it to build a computer. Yeah. You just go buy one from yeah. Dell or whatever. Or There's, Apple. Yeah. So that's, so that's, that's a sh and in some ways I, I view that as a shame because you don't really know how the thing that you're using works. You lose exactly. something there. We learned a lot by building those kits. I mean, you had a resistor, you had a capacitor, you had to know the difference. Yeah. And you knew it went in here, where it went, and often the instructions would explain the circuit you're working on. Hmm. So you understood why these parts were in there. Yeah. So you really learned a lot about it. You also learned like uh, wiring up a switch, a rotary switch. Yeah. Uh, there's little contacts inside there. And so you learned how those all worked. And you realized that, hey, if you bent one of your little connectors in there, you were doomed. And I'm guessing these kits now, you can get them, but they're not as, as prevalent because it's less expensive to go buy like a like the radio I have is the you know the Baofeng something yeah. something is that is that would you would that be the case do you think or I'm not sure what do you mean uh, well so I'm sure you could still go out and buy a kit um, and and get yourself you know put it together and get yourself yeah. uh, on the air uh, with that but I I wonder if over time did those things become less and less prevalent <clears throat> or as as Things got less expensive. Well, things the parts got less expensive and smaller yeah. to the point where the machines put the radios together. Yeah, and there was no way to make a kit out of any of that. So you'll never find a little Baofeng kit anymore. No, right. And and um, and so the the commercial the, the the thing that began the end of the kits was really the Japanese. The Japanese equipment was better and. Um, uh, Lower priced than the equivalent kit, yeah, and worked right out of the box, and yeah. they were ready made, and um, the quality of those radios was very good, yeah, relatively good, yeah, very good, and so it really hurt the kit market, and finally they went out of business. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure where we were going. No, with this. well, no. What's interesting <laughs> to me is number one, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between this and and you know the computer age and and exactly. how. You know, you'd build computers, but you're not really going to find build-your-own computer kits very much anymore. That's right. And it's because it's it's less expensive, the quality is better, and so on. And so the end product is yeah. is is um, is pretty much all you can find out there. But but I think there's something that you lose both with computers and with radios, and the and, exactly. and that's the process. So it's the process of making the thing that's important for for these kits, yes. not necessarily the the end product, right? And, right. And I think there's some value in in following that process, even though you're not going to have the highest quality thing. And I, it's just curious to me that. Well, I would really yeah. recommend people get get involved with the maker pro, the makers program, mm -hmm. the, uh, the the electronic parts like like Adafruit has, yeah. and um, uh, what RF parts and uh, some of the other kit you know where the, you can buy components yeah and you put them on a breadboard and wire up an led flasher or something like that yeah and uh, that's how you get started today so it's yeah. the same idea you more like doing it yourself right online there's all kinds of projects that you can build yeah um and so you just go get the parts and and, and teach yourself 
Yeah, when I when I uh, when I was growing up, we we had the Radio Shack all in one kits. Mm -hmm. I remember those with the springs coming out of them. Oh yes! And then you could put the you know you pull the spring back and you put the wire in the spring and you could make a uh, hundred things in the one kit. And one yeah. of them was like a shortwave AM radio, uh -huh. and there was maybe like a piezo buzzer on there and some LEDs and some other things. Right. And so you could learn. You're not building like a, a, a kit that's going to get you <laughs> on air, really. But you can learn a little bit about oh, the sure. fundamentals. Absolutely. There. You're learning yeah. the fundamentals. That's right. Yeah. And then you appreciate when you do get a, a well-built radio, yeah. exactly what you've got. Yeah. So so let's talk about then. So we've talked a little bit about how you got online or, you know, the, the first contact you had. Um, but I wanted to use that. And then, uh, you know, my mind travels in different places uh, to talk about how, how you got started in, in ham radio um, and, uh, you know, what, what was some of the, so you had your kit and talk, you know, what's some of the first things that you did and, and used yeah. as well? <clears throat> I got started in high school and in high school, I lived in one part of town and to get to the high school, we had to take public transport transportation. Yeah. Uh, it was a school bus. And so we would, and, and normally the school bus ran express right from the north side of town where I lived. Uh, to the school and if you work late in any activities or anything we had to take regular regular school buses regular buses yeah. and then transfer part way home okay. it turns out that there's a war surplus store okay down about three blocks away okay and this was this was in the uh, 50s and so there okay. was still a lot of surplus around from world war ii yeah and there was a lot of neat stuff yeah, in this in this store, and this is a place in Cincinnati called Lapero Brothers, um, and they they were really nice to us kids. And so when we transferred transferred, we had to wait for our other bus, so we would walk down to this this uh, war surplus place, look around. To make a long story short, up on the wall were a couple of walkie talkies. They were BC six eleven. This is what they're called. Okay, I didn't know what they were, but they, and, and so the guy in there, it was really nice to us, and he says, you know, you have to have a ham license to use these walkie talkies because every kid wants a walkie talkie, right? Especially back in that age. Yeah. And today you have cell phones, and it's not a big deal. Yeah. But anyway, back then it was a big, really a big deal, and so that was our incentive to get our ham license. Because yeah. he said you had to have a ham, ham license. Well, what's that? Right. And so then we uh, us us. Kids got together and says, "Well, let's get our ham licenses. Yeah. Why not? You know, what is yeah. that?" And so that's how we that's how we got our ham licenses. Um, this was before I could drive, so um, <laughs> my dad would take me to a ham class to teach us the ham radio, so we could get, yeah. get our license. And he would then go to a movie yeah. while we were in this class. And yeah. of course, he had to pick me up, and he never got to see the end of the movie because right. he had to. Uh, so he to this day he still complains about yeah. having. To miss all these movies. Right. So make a long story short, we got our ham licenses, and then we got on the air, and we talked about the building the kits and yeah. and and, um, uh, and talking to each other first, and then you would reach out and talk further and further away. So, so that's, I mean, what's interesting is that a lot of that story um, and how you got started describes things that uh, aren't, um, if I were to get started today, aren't around, you know, the, the surplus store with the, the radios right. in it and the friendly person who's going to, you know, tell you that you have to get a, a radio license. And I'm sure, I mean, how big was your class? Do you remember when, when you were going to class for ham radio? Um, when your there, dad would drop you off? Yeah. How, how yeah, many people it, it were? Was a, it was an electronic store. And as a feature in the afternoon, or maybe it was early evening, they uh, have a ham radio class. 
to teach you okay. the theory and so you can pass the test and then also the Morse code. Sure. Because they had to have the Morse code. So so the electro the, the ham the, the amateur I'm sorry, the radio store doesn't exist anymore no. e either, they're, right? They're so gone. they're gone. So none of these places that, you know, a kid could happen upon you know, kind of like a comic book store right now yes. or yeah. you know, whatever else. Or a, make, a makerspace. Or a makerspace. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, they don't really... It, it, so where do you go to get started now in ham radio? Well, people hear about ham... That's a good question. Um, people hear about ham radio and they're kind of curious. Yeah. Uh, there is a little bit of publicity about it, especially when an emergency comes up and they talk about amateur radio and things like that. So mm -hmm. people kind of... In the back of their minds, they're a little bit aware of it. Yeah. Uh, you run it up the flagpole like you did at DePaul, and um, you got, uh, what, five people showed up to sure. come to the class. Sure. And I bet if you marketed it more, yeah. uh, you could probably uh, beat the bushes and get a lot more yeah. in, in, a, uh, in another class, yeah. uh, maybe in a year or so. And uh, not that I'm offering. Of <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate all the time already. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and so people hear about it, and that's the real problem is I, I like to teach the classes. Yeah. And finding your audience is a problem. Yeah. Um, schools, schools might do it if you have a sponsor in the school. Yeah. So you could, I've done it already at Burbank School in Burbank, Illinois. Um, we, uh, there was a teacher there who, I don't know if she had her license yet or not, but she was a real proponent for amateur radio. Okay. And so you have somebody on board who is going to help run the show, provide the resources, a room for, the, for everything. Yeah. And we ended up installing, the school bought a radio, and we installed antennas and had the, had the station on the air. Yeah. And that was all going very well until the school district changed the schools, and all of a sudden that school turned into a um, one through fourth grade or something like that, younger kids. The older kids went to a different school. Uh, and so we lost all the, all the bodies. Right, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that kind of fell through. I think they just took all the equipment out. Yeah. But, but I've done it at a school, and um, it's a very unique opportunity to teach a lot of kids and yeah. get them involved in, uh, is it STEM, science, yeah. technology, engineering? It's STEM and, or STEAM. Yeah, so science, technology, uh, engineering, art, and mathematics. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, so what? So it sounds though like you have to go to them more now, and less. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, yeah. it, it seems harder to get people involved because there's not as many, you know, places around that people can just kind of happen upon. And, and it's it's marketing. Yeah. So to run a class, you need maybe five people or so yeah. to make it worth your while. Yeah. Where do you get five people who are really interested in it? Yeah. Now, I think if you did a big, widespread marketing program of some sort, you might be able to uh, fill a class. I, I yeah. don't know. I don't have the moxie to do that. Sure. We need a we need a marketing person to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, we'd talked, um, I think we were talking maybe at the Ham Fest, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of like a, a maker, this is for people listening, obviously, like a maker fair, um, but for, for amateur, uh, for people who are enthusiasts in amateur radio. And, um, you know, one of the things that, I think it was you who mentioned this, was that the, the event used to have like, you know, it's it's grown a little bit smaller, yes. kind of yeah, o it's, over time. Yes, and 
And so the community is, is which has contributed so much <clears throat> to, um, you know, I think, I think maker culture and, and, um, and engineering and, and everything else. And we were just talking about Carl Sagan. I mean, obviously it's a very important to a lot of, a lot of people, um, is, is kind of shrieking now. And that, I, I don't know why I find that. I think I find that interesting because I, you know, well, first of all, let me ask why, why do you think that's happening? I think people are aware of the need to support that kind of an activity. Yeah. <coughs> and so companies will be generous. I think we're talking about the same thing. Mm. They'll be generous like you had here in donations and things like that. Sure. To the, to the maker cause. Um, same thing happens on a much lesser scale than amateur radio. There are a number of organizations, clubs, that have received generous amounts of equipment from yeah. uh, the local community. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons, one of the problems is, is your tax-exempt status. Sure. You know, and all of that. And yeah. so it gets a little bit, um, a little bit hairy is, is uh, um, we're really not a, a public service, what do they call it? Yeah, public service um, organization. Sure. So, so the companies aren't as willing to donate. I mean, they don't look yeah. for us to donate. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a term. We just went through this with our constitution and everything so yeah. at the club. So um, it's, I'm a little fuzzy on it. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I answered your question. Or, no, uh, it's, it's uh, well, um, kind, kind of, like in an orthogonal <laughs> way, right? Like, I, I, think, I think what I'm interested in um, is we're talking about how, uh, you know, it's, it's harder... I, after I took after I got my my license and um, having talked with some of my college students who are uh, in your class, um, you know they're getting a lot out of it, and I, I feel like I got a lot out of it too. And I want more people to experience mm -hmm. that the, the education, but then also to be able to be you know to have their license and be able to get uh, on air. But it seems like it's harder to to get into now because there aren't as many storefronts that you know you can jump in at and whatever else we were talking yeah. about, right? And, and, and so as a result, you know, I would assume um, of, of, that, uh, of those challenges, you know, things like Hamfest and so forth are, are, are having, you know, shrinking a little bit because it's harder for people to, you know, come upon it. And no. I want more people to have the experience that, that I did, right. which is that I, I really enjoy this and I see a lot of value in it. And I wish that I mean I, I just wish there were like radio shacks out there again or yep. some place where you can happen upon this stuff. And I, I don't know what the answer is. And I'm not asking you if you know what the answer yeah. is, but I, I'm just interested in your, in your thoughts on you know well, any of that. Hamfests are, are dwindling a little bit because people are not building their own equipment anymore. Hamfest, ah. Hamfest used to be a swap and shop type mm. of thing where you mm -hmm. used to use what they call tailgating. Yeah. You back your car up, open the trunk, and you got all your stuff that you want to sell. Yeah. And then you wander around and look for somebody else who's got stuff that you want. Yeah. And either you swap the stuff or you uh, buy it or whatever it is, and then you sell sell your stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and come home in a cash position, hopefully. Sure. Um, and so those kinds of things are, are changing a little bit because hams are not building the equipment anymore for the same reason that kits are not made. It's easier just to go buy something because right. you get more function and and uh, it's a better quality. Right. Um, same thing with computers. And right. So people just buy the radio. So they don't have a need to 
have all these parts. And so the need for the ham fest, I think, is dwindling a little bit. Yeah. I think the ham fest should get to be more of a social, more like a picnic. Uh, and get the club get the club members out there and have a picnic and have fun. Uh, um, but that's uh, how, how you how you raise the interest in the hobby is um, interesting. What what's I th I think one of the things that's really kind of interested me about this too is um, so a lot of maker stuff right now is is following this early trajectory that you know I, when we talk about computers and and ham. Right. I see. And the early trajectory is um, you've got these spaces that are popping up because they're exploring um, the intersection between computing and uh, physical, the physical world. Right. Uh, so you have 3D printers where you've got a digital, um, you know, file, and then you 3D print it and it becomes yeah. real. Mm -hmm. Or a laser cutter and you've got that dis a design, a digital design, and then it cuts something in the wood. And so that's real. Yes. Or you have your Arduinos. And you hook them up to sensors, and those sensors are listening to things in real life. Right. And so you've got all these these kits, and you've got all these things that these DIY things that people can take advantage of right, right. now, um, because there's no alternative, or at least whatever alternative there is is probably incredibly expensive. It's your dock version of whatever you're talking yeah. about before. Yeah. And so, my you know, looking ahead, I think one of the 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 um, the questions that I've I've been asking is, okay, well, if this is following a history continues to repeat itself all the time, and if this yes. is following a similar trajectory as amateur radio and as computing, at some point something's going to come along that's going to obviate the the need to tinker with Arduinos and to tinker with these three D printers, and suddenly some of what we're doing is lost, right? And then the question becomes what what's what's still there what's the what will replace it right yeah so what you know i, I maybe i should stop talking for a second and just see if you have any thoughts about that but i've got a couple well, of questions too a couple of things just flashed through my mind number one yeah. is back in the old days when you worked on computers and something broke on it you'd replace the part mm -hmm. nowadays nowadays or no let's this a little bit later on you replace the board right then you would replace the whole module yeah, the board and the whole module. Yeah, you know, when something broke, so things are kind of scaling up if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, as far as the complexity, and mm -hmm. so that's the way computers are. Same thing with with the makers now. Yeah, you've got the you've got not right now the kits to for the three D printers and things sure. like that. You put those things all together. I could imagine that if that gets to be really popular, that will become a commodity. Right, and you wouldn't bother to build one because you can get a great one. Right, and so. Why, why build one? Right. You'd still learn a lot by building your own. Right. And I looked at the ones that you guys have got, and I'm amazed at how complicated they are. And I looked yeah. through the book. Yeah. Uh, how to assemble the thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you set aside a week to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but that could easily be replaced by a commodity product. Right. And so now you're just, what you had just said, that's going to get shuffled aside. Right. But it'll be something else, so replace yeah. it. So what's the thing... First of all, I find it interesting because I, I, you're talking <clears throat> in, in, you know, a lot of people that I've interviewed for this have talked about this too, where um, what we're talking about is systems becoming more complex. Mm -hmm. And as they become more complex, we lose, we lose an understanding, um, a great, a, pro a progressive understanding, really, right? So we right. continue to lose even more understanding of how things work because the systems are so 
uh, incredibly complex right. already. Right, right. Some engineer has taken the function, put it on a chip, <clears throat> and so it's invisible to us. Right. Um, yeah, and then and you know then what what's built on top of that? So I wonder though. My other my my question then is um, if so if if maker spaces and this maker culture thing and if amateur radio and the um, gosh, what was the place out in the, the club out in California that Apple and all them went through the the homebrew hardware mm-hmm. club or something like that? Uh-huh. If those things were only about the toys, if they were only about 3D printers or the radios that you have, um, then they'd go away, right? Maker stuff would be gone after 3D printers became a commodity. Yeah, I'm using a shorthand here, but but I got, I've got to believe that there's something to each of these. Um, you know, to amateur radio and to, to maker culture and all these other things that you, even though the 3D printer is gone, you can't lose some other oh, thing. I, I agree. What is it? What is, what well, is that? You, you, it changes. It's yeah. not going to be the same thing. So yeah. now my, my big radio at home is store-bought. <clears throat> it costs thousands of dollars <clears throat> and it works like a dream. Yeah. But I've got all kinds of plug-ins and peripherals that go around that to make that thing work. Yeah, uh, and a, a big part of that to make it work is the Ethernet and internet connections uh, and all of that. Yeah, and the fact that I can turn my radio on from right here yeah. is pretty cool. And so you still have to have a little bit of moxie. You still have to know a little bit about the Ethernet and uh, um, IP addressing and all the sure. basics <clears throat> to work your ham radio. Okay. And so you're still going to have f- for the technically curious. Yeah. Room for investigation yeah. and for development, I think. What about the communities around these things? I mean, you know, I, I imagine, you know, you're talking about some of the things that you don't lose are still, you still have that curiosity because it's just on the periphery kind of right. of, of the machine. Um, but I, I got to, I, I have to hope that, um, you know, one of the, the cool things about maker things is it's not the technology it's that you know when we started our first makerspace 10 years ago we were meeting in a coffee house for three months and people were paying 50 dollars a month just to do that Mm. because they wanted to be around other people right but not just other any other people it was you know this particular group of people and i have to hope that you know if you can buy a 3d printer and it's a commodity or you can buy a radio and now it's a commodity that there's still something about that culture that keeps yes. people coming back to amateur radio, keeps people coming back to all this other stuff. Well, amateur radio clubs have been around. Yeah. I mean, our radio club started in 1930s, 1933 or so when it yeah. was founded. And it's still, it still survived. All the technology changes, but yeah. there's still the people, and that's a key thing, it's still the people <clears throat> that have that common, common interest, common spirit, and that's the amateur radio yeah. uh, or the makers. And I would like to see, and that's the reason I came out to visit you the first time, was the merging of amateur radio, the original makers, yeah, yeah, um, uh, and the makers. uh, There's a lot of synergy right in there. Yeah. What What's the common spirit? You you said the common interest or spirit when you're talking about amateur radio. What would you describe, if you could, as you know, as you look around the people in in your club and the people you've done work with. What's the common spirit that people who are amateur radio enthusiasts have? What, what would, if, mm. you know, a word or a phrase or a paragraph that you would use to describe that? I, uh, 
Initially, I would say curiosity. Yeah. Somebody who is interested in how things work. Um, uh, you can have somebody that sits home and reads a book, and they're going to sit home and read the book, and they're intellectually getting smarter and all that good stuff because they read a book or watched TV or played a video game. Yeah. But amateur radio is, is a hands-on activity, yeah. Yeah. and it usually involves other people, and uh, it, periodically you get together, if you're smart, in a club or yeah. an organization somewhere to share your experiences, to get help, yeah. uh, or to help somebody else. Yeah. And so... Um, you have the maker people get together, the amateur radio people get together. I'm sure there's sewing clubs that get together, absolutely, whatever. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, I think it's a common phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. It's I was I was just at um, Wesleyan Potter's. I'm not sure if I told you this when we were talking last week. So when we were out in um, Connecticut, and that's when I interviewed uh, Hayne Bayless, uh -huh. we went as well to the oldest co-op in the the oldest, oldest continuously running co-op in the united states and they're called wesleyan potters and the wesleyan potters um obviously they do a lot of pottery there um but they also yeah. have like if you go upstairs they have looms and, and and things of that nature and so you know it's it's there's there's kind of two sides to the coin of at least of, of maker culture and, and one of those sides is the digital stuff that we were talking about. But because mm -hmm. of the physical nature of things um, that we were also talking about, there's this whole other side of maker culture that has nothing to do with electronics and has everything to do with um, with just hand-making things, right? Sure. The original, like, arts and crafts. Right. Which which kind of came out of around the same time as, as you know, amateur radio did. Mm -hmm. Arts and crafts was a, you know, like a reaction to the industrial era. Right, it's a, it's oh, a. Yeah. Um, everything is, everything is machine made. We need to retain some of this the skills, these skills, and, and this yeah. knowledge. Um, and so that's the other part of, of of maker culture. And I wonder if there's some parallels between that and and amateur radio as well, as far mm -hmm. as the knowledge. You know, is there a? What are the what are the the pieces of knowledge that amateur radio is like is is. Um, is the, is the bulwark for maintaining? Is the, I, yeah. One of the things that you were describing this that, yeah. that jumped into my mind is people who are doing retro radios going back to the old days, yeah. um, building radios with vacuum tubes, yeah, and uh, and experimenting with the the simple radios that were the big rage in the nineteen twenties, okay. like a regenerative radio uh, where you uh, have a a single uh, tube in there, or you can make one with transistors if you want to. Sure. <clears throat> and um, which is a little easier. Sure. And so you can experiment that way, and you go back to the old basics again. Right. And uh, individual parts. Some of the parts are getting a little harder to find, but yeah. it's still doable in this day and age. And so, yeah. no excuse not to do that. So, um, so you mentioned vacuum tubes, and then you could do things with transistors as well. Um, and I kind of want to shift gears here because I feel like. Um, that was a really good. That was a really good topic to to to, to you know, a way to stop that, to end at that topic. Um, but you know, when you mentioned transistors, another thing that's happening in computing right now is that uh, you're familiar with Moore's law. Yes. Right? So yes. you know, every seven years, computers get like a, a, a twice as fast. Twice as fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could really look at. I mean, the way I explain this to my students is. Ten years ago, if you bought a computer, it would be obsolete in in you know three months, um, you know because the technology was right. It was, it was so fast, 
And one of the things that's happening in computing right now is that Moore's law is actually slowing down. It's nearing the the end of of its life. And as a why law. is that? Because transistors can only be physically apart by 11 nanometers, and we're approaching that rapidly. Right. We're at 12 nanometers now. Right. And so um, the speed of a computer is really dependent on how many transistors you can fit in one small yeah. area of and space. And heat buildup is another problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. There's sorts... Uh, so anyways, sorry, I, I don't <laughs> want to design yeah, a computer here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's interesting to me is, is as we reach this, this kind of peak, um, what that means to me from, from maker things, but also from computers and possibly also amateur radio is that whereas before things were changing so fast that you needed to go to college and really ramp up and get a degree in this yeah. because, it, because it was changing so fast. Now... Um, you know, if, if things aren't rapidly uh, uh, evolving, it gives all sorts of people who aren't engineers suddenly an opportunity to, to, to get involved in computing now. Sure. Um, and I wonder, you know, because as we were talking about transistors and, 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 and uh, vacuum tubes and, and so forth, I, I wonder if, um, if there's, you know, a converse effect here where before you know, maybe it's it's harder to get into computing or it's harder to get into radio or it's harder to get into maker things. It's going to become easier and easier as things kind of, I don't want to say stagnate, but as they as yeah. they, they approach the event horizon. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, would, I would suggest, though, that as we slow down on the current technology or the kind of computers that you and I have, that they're going to go to quantum computers now. Right. Right. And so all of a sudden, that's a whole new technology, right. which is just on the cusp of uh, breaking through. Right. And and so all of a sudden, we may start on the up up ramp again. Right. Yeah. So with a new technology. So so the current technology, uh, I agree with you. I think it has it has uh, run its course. Yeah. And it's been wonderful. Yeah. But uh, there's there's gonna be other things come along. You just yeah. you don't know. I mean, thank goodness for MIT. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of because we were talking about what could the next, you know, the, there would be the next thing yes. that, that comes on top of that. And so the next thing is, you know, whatever technology kind of um, usurps right digital uh, digital technology, really. Right. Um, and then they'll still have to solve battery problems, which... Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's it. I, I, I think they'll... They'll solve. They'll work on it. They're working on it. There are a lot of people working on it. A lot of smart people working on it. Right. And a ton of money going into it. Yeah. But still, uh, was it the lithium ion? Yep. The lithium polymer is still the, the yeah. winner on our phones. Where is it? Yeah. 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 That's that's uh, that's that's pretty much much all that there there is right now <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Um. So so we talked a lot. So this is this is a good progression here, and we've talked a lot about um. You know how you got started. We talked a little bit about you know uh, the tie-in with computers, and we talked a little bit about ham radio club. I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about the importance of joining a ham radio oh, club. I I would urge yes, absolutely. Yeah. That uh, joining an amateur radio club, if especially a new ham, to get your feet on the ground, to get started in the right direction, and answer your questions because getting started is not not necessarily real simple. You don't just yeah. turn on a TV set or turn on a computer. Um, you have to uh, get your radios in. You have to uh, uh, install an antenna somewhere, somehow. And um, the more you get involved in ham radio, the more technical it's going to be and the more help you're going to need. There's a lot of help around. And so 
that's the beauty of the amateur radio is you're learning as you go along. And so you're learning um, your speed, yeah. and not only through uh, the club, but also books. And uh, there's a lot of internet uh, information available also yeah. to get you going. And so if you decide to, you want to get into something like slow scan television, or better yet, a better example would be satellite communication. Sure. And that's a fun and exciting thing to work with. And so how do you do that? Where do you start? You need special antennas. Uh, you get to use computer programs to predict when the satellite is coming over, things like that. So you get involved in a lot of disciplines. Yeah. You also learn a lot about space dynamics and the Keplerian elements where you can predict the arrival of a, sp a spacecraft. So you learn uh, where to get those and in, in, insert those into your computer program. Yeah. And so there's a lot of learning. And so joining the club that is active in all of this is is almost essential, I think, to, to, to a successful start in ham radio. I'm seeing some parallels here. Um, you know, when, when we talk about our, our maker space communities, we, we do talk about, you know, it helps you get started. One of the other things that we talk about um, in addition to that is that <clears throat> you're around a lot of different people who have different professions and different backgrounds. Exactly. And at least with making that inform, like in makerspaces that is, it, that informs the way you think about how you do things. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what kind of people are attracted to amateur radio clubs, in your experience at least. Yes. And what that, um, what, what, what that translates into as far as how they approach their craft and apply that knowledge to, to amateur radio. Yes. Um, as you move in your amateur radio circles, you're going to meet all kinds of people naturally. Yeah. And they come from all backgrounds. And that's one of the uh, neat things is, is that you will meet uh, average, average Joes like yourself, you'll, uh, housewives, you'll meet uh, um, uh, truck drivers, uh, tradespeople. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, a lot of professional people are also... Um, amateur radio operators, uh, politicians, uh, whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. Uh, but they also uh, <laughs> goes back have, to nothing. Yeah. yeah, Gary Goldwater <laughs> is one of the most famous. Oh, really? Uh, amateur radio operators. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> he had a huge station, and he used to run phone patches over to Viet Vietnam uh, back in the oh the Korea during the Korean War. Oh yeah, sure. Where there was uh, tele no telephone communications from the servicemen over there, yeah. and so he would run phone patches to the families back here. Wow. A phone patch is just an interconnect between the telephone and your amateur radio. Right. So they would uh, he would contact an amateur in in uh, Korea, for example, and um, uh, they would have the, the soldier in the station there, and they would then. Um, talk back and forth on the radio, and then they would then patch the amateur radio into the telephone line. Yeah. And that was what we call a phone patch. And yeah. so they were able to contact their loved ones at home. Barry Goldwater was very big at doing that. Okay. Um, he had a huge station, very powerful station, um, and uh, spent a lot of time doing that. Um, other amateurs do the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, there's an outfit called the Military Amateur Radio, M-A-R-S system, I guess, Amateur Radio System, Mars and they provide communications emergency to military people and to aircraft. My son is an aircraft commander, and he flies uh, for the Air Force, and uh, he has used the Mars system yeah. um, to communicate uh, to their, their home base and also to run a phone patch to, to us. Sure. Uh, on Mother's Day, he called. He was uh, in flight over um, Ari uh, Phoenix, Arizona, huh. and a phone patched into my to my uh, my wife yeah. and wish her uh, Mother's Day. <laughs> so that was kind of neat. So there's yeah. amateur radio at work for you right there, which yeah. is kind of neat. 
Um, uh, and I forget where, where else we were going. Oh, being the club and active and the people you meet. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, different you know backgrounds. All that they kinds have. of uh, backgrounds. Um, one of the big things that I always tell the, the people, and I uh, told uh, your students, and that is, is that you're going to meet all kinds of people and disciplines. And number one, you have an FCC license and mm -hmm. going for employment that may make a difference. It's saying, hey. FCC license, you got a little bit of moxie. Yeah. You've gone out there and you're federally licensed to operate a radio, number one. Number two, you're going to meet people who are employers. Yeah. And there's a good chance that you might have a good fit there. You just don't know. Yeah. And so you can, nothing else, you can get a good reference from that person okay. if you're in the same club. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so it is a, it can be a close knit group uh, depending on the, the people you meet, of course, and things yeah. like that. So, so you have the job opportunities, you meet some really interesting people, and like you suggest also, their inputs and their suggestions are going to also influence, influence you and, and uh, their thinking, and, yeah. and uh, uh, both socially and, uh, you know, hey, did you go to a movie last night? I really saw this neat movie or something yeah. like that. But uh, that goes on a lot of groups, I guess. So Yeah, well, so, I mean, but, you, you know, you, you, the community aspect's really interesting because it's not, it's also not just about... Um, what the group does together, but it seems to me, just from talking with you about, you know, what what, what um, Hamfesters does and what other clubs do, it's also about reaching outside yes. of, of that group and yeah. educating. Yeah, that's something I didn't really um, emphasize too much, and that is, yeah. you have some clubs that are really active in the service business, and that is, they yeah. go out and look for opportunities to help and are really involved in the community. Yeah. Uh, Hamfesters is not that kind of a club. It's more of a social club. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I think most of the members like it that way, and that's why the club is, is yeah. successful like that because yeah. uh, they all fit together pretty well. Right. Um, but uh, there are opportunities to reach out. Uh, we uh, monitor uh, the walkathons and the marathons that are running around. Right. Um, uh, Chicago Marathon is entirely coordinated by uh, amateur radio. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so all of the emergency... There is an amateur radio at every one of the checkpoints along that 27-mile walk yeah. uh, run. Uh, in my case, it would be a walk. <laughs> <laughs> 27 mile walk. Right, right, right. So, <clears throat> so that's it. So the so the clubs get out at, at races. They they educate. And what is it about um, people who are in amateur radio and uh, doing those kind of public facing those public services? Yes. really, education and. And getting and, and that other kind of involvement. What's yeah. what's at the heart of that that drives? Well, I think it's the pleasure yeah. of using your radio and using your skills as a communicator and yeah. using your equipment um, through repeater systems, most likely yeah. to provide a service to the community. So yeah. I think that's that's what it's all about is just helping out. In, yeah. in, that, in the case of a walkathon or a marathon or emergency and disaster recovery, things yeah. like that. I mean, sometimes we're the last line of defense. I mean, when yeah. you have like a, down in Florida where the town is isolated, yeah. um, all of the VHF and UHF connections are gone, the telephone's gone. Yeah. So what do, you hit, what do you have left? Amateur radio. You yeah. get on the radio and call for help or say, you know, send the Red Cross or, or you know, whatever. So... so so I've got a couple final questions for you here because sure. we're, we're getting close to our hour. But I, 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 you know, before when I asked you, um, you know, if you were to describe what that spirit of, of ham, amateur radio operators was, you mentioned curiosity. But now you're also mentioning community, right, yes. or, or um, service, service to your service. community. 
Um, so first of all, would it be fair to say that those those are kind of two defining features, or yeah, they, they coexist. <coughs> they coexist. Yeah. Some are more strong than others. A lot of amateur radio operators are really into emergency services, and so yeah. they go to special extra meetings. They go to special training yeah. to provide so that they can provide emergency service to somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, CPR, for example, they go through that kind of training. There's also emergency number of federal courses that you can take. They're free, but they have the various levels for emergency communications, how to operate in a disaster environment. Um, yeah. and, um, and so they have various levels there. So you have a lot of hams that are involved in the emergency services, disaster uh, situations, a public service, um, providing communications um, where communications is needed. Yeah. Um, uh, and anywhere where radio can be used, it's kind of, kind of fun to use our toys. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. I, the, you know, it's always fun to use the toys. We do that a lot at the makerspace. Yeah. We do a lot of these other places. I'm wondering if there's, and I, this might be my last question too. I'm wondering if there is, is there something? Do you think, not just, um, not just that they that between community service and that curiosity, not in a way that they just coexist, but are they intertwined in some way? Is it a way of thinking? You know, if I look at a lot of makerspaces. They're also focused on how does this work and how can we share this with other people right. and, and share our, our joy of this thing with other people. And it's not, so it's almost like not just how does this thing work, but how do we, how do, how do we give this to everybody else? And I, I don't know if those th two things are linked, but it can't be a mistake that you see this in every community that we've talked about Yes, and they're paired, they have to be paired somehow together in a, like, an ethos or a way that people approach things. Well, you want to share your excitement of the hobby. Yeah. If you find anything exciting, you want to share it with somebody. You know, guess what I found or guess what I just did. Right. Um, I just talked to uh, a country, uh, Burkina Faso, for example, in Central, a Central Africa. Sure. Um, and so you, you, you'll never forget that, really. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, and so you want to share that excitement. Right. Um, and you want to share your hobby with other people. Yeah, and um, I think some organizations are are more outreach than other evangelistic, if you want to use that word. Sure. Um, and uh, our club is more of a social club, so we don't reach out as much. Yeah. We have set up stations in, in uh, uh, Chicago Ridge Shopping Center back when that was a shopping center. Sure. And uh, we put a, we put a kiosk up and put our radios in there and had flyers and handouts. To promote ham radio, so some of yeah. that has gone on. Yeah. Um, right now, we haven't done it recently. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I think that's a pretty good spot. That's just it's just really interesting to me, and I don't know what the answer is, and I, I'm not, yeah. you know, but I, I think that's fascinating. I think that's a good place to kind of to kind of uh, end okay. on. Except uh, before we finish up, I like to ask everybody. Um, where can people find uh, you or your your organization on the internet or wherever else? What what things do you want to talk about or plug so that people um, you know come out or, or, or can get more exposed to you if they're interested? I think probably uh, the best way would be through the Hamfesters Radio Club. Yeah, we have a, a very nice web website. If I do say so myself. Yeah. www.hamfesters.org. Yeah. Um, Yes, hamfesters.org yeah. would be uh, your best bet. And all the information is there. Members members are there. Yeah. Uh, what we do, what's coming up, yeah. um, some background information 
is all there. <clears throat> Speaking of what's coming up, is there anything coming up right now? or uh, We have, uh, um, I'd have to look it up. Uh, we have Steve Cooper, who's coming to our next meeting. Mm. And Steve Cooper is, gonna, is, is more entertainment. He is mm. an entertainer and a musician. Okay. And he's going to talk about music of the old days. Okay. And um, uh, I'd have to look on the uh, on here exactly the exact words, but um, he, he plays the trumpet. Uh, quite a musician. He's played with many, if not all, the big bands sure. that have been around in the country. And um, he just has a whole lot of good stories to tell. And so that's going to be our our program coming up uh, in the November meeting, which is the first Friday in November. Great. Um, and uh, following that, we have our club Christmas party. Yeah, and, uh, and that'll be the first Friday in December. Great. So uh, that's it. Well, Brian Davis, thank you so much for coming out and and talking with me. My pleasure. And um, this is really fascinating. I appreciate it. I I'll probably have an addendum to this of things that I <laughs> wish I had said. Yeah. But uh, this is what you got. No, this is great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> That was Brian Davis of the Hamfesters Amateur Radio Club out here in the Chicago South suburbs. I really enjoyed this episode. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And quite frankly, um, you know, some of the conversations um, that, uh, that we've had during our ham radio classes, as well as um, at the uh, Hamfests that... Uh, Hamfest, really, just one that I, I attended, uh, have really spurred in, in many ways um, some of the stuff that we're doing on this podcast. So thank you very much to Brian for joining us and for, um, uh, you know, all of the work that he does uh, for the amateur radio and maker communities. Okay, so session 10, episode 10, in the bag. Next up, session 11. Session 11 is going to be a conversation with Nate Matson of Obstructures. And if you are not familiar with Obstructures and you do not like to Google things, uh, then I'll give you a brief introduction, which is that they make awesome uh, guitars and other tools for people who design and make things. Obstructures is really, if I were to summarize it, and I hope Nate's okay with that, a kind of industrial design company and they do a lot of work in particular with aluminum instruments and uh, and some other designery things so um, that's gonna be a great conversation with Nate he's a colleague of mine at DePaul University but also a really interesting maker in his own right so stay tuned for session 11 with Nate Madsen of Obstructures thank you to Brian Davis for joining us and i look forward to our next episode please if you enjoy this uh, show subscribe like do whatever that is that people do and share it with everybody you know all right that's it for now thanks bye bye